The last Toulouse substitution of the day was in many ways the most significant since it saw the introduction of Arthur Rettier, who in a, on another day scored another try for another team in another city, but we won't talk about that. Anyway, his introduction could only serve as a reminder to Leinster, as if we needed it, of the task at hand on May the 20th. It's time to start harping on rugby. Harpen on Rugby. My name is Jeff Pagano, and once again, I've been joined by my fellow fans to harp on what's going on with Leinster, Ireland, and the wider rugby world. My first guest contributor today is someone making his 38th appearance. Welcome back to Mr. Connor Cronin. Thanks for having me back again. No problem. And also with us is someone back for cap number 36. Hello to Mr. Tom Coleman. Even Connor, even Jeff. Good to be back. Good to see you both. Okay, so before we get to our main topic of discussion, we're going to a feature we call the Front Five, where we pick out five eye-catching, eye-chasing articles from around the rugosphere. So we can offer a few quick thoughts, starting with yourself, Connor. And your first article is from Scrum Queens, and it's by Alison Donnelly. And the headline is, England, hang on to take the win. Yeah, um, a final score of 38 points to 33. Uh, but very much, I mean, the, the article uses the term a game of two halves because because at half time score was 33 nil and England were under immense pressure in the second half. Um, I think France were even the better team in the second half. It's a, a, certainly a better scoreline for them. Um, second half, but uh, all, all the work was done in the first half and all the, all the, the scoreline that was needed to protect the win was done in the first half. Um, I will say it's great to see that it was, done in front of a world record crowd for women's rugby um, and brilliant for the women's game to get that kind of recognition and that kind of support. And hopefully uh, our friends in the IRFU and, and people here can follow suit and, and put that kind of support into our women's team. Absolutely. I mean, you, you see they're, 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 they're finally seeing that you can't just model the women's game on how the men's game is. So they moved it to a different portion of the season so they don't clash. They, and this, they, they even tinkered with the schedule now to put the England-France game in the final round, which makes perfect sense, sets up a decider, and, and they had the crowd and everything. And it was, it was, a, it was a great occasion all rounds there. And it's, 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 it's been a great tournament from, from that side of things anyway. And it was definitely an exciting finish, much like the World Cup final was as well. Okay, we're going to move over to yourself, Tom, and your article. Same, it's also from the, the Women's Six Nations, and this is from the42.ie. And as Lewis Stewart, and the headline is Ireland fade in second half and fall to first wooden spoon since 2004. Yeah, it's, it's been an extremely disappointing um, Six Nations for our ladies team. Um, like over the cold course of this, this Six Nations, there's been very few positives, you know what I mean? Just the, the the unhappiness in the camp and uh, the, you know just online from supporters and and you know protests down in Musgrave Park and 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 just everything that's gone with it it's it's very hard to see anything positive about it which is very unfair in the players because 
uh, you know, they'd be putting in the work on the training ground as well, um, week on week, just as much as the lads do. And, you know, to just end up with a wooden spoon after, you know, as you say, the first one since 2004. Um, yeah, it, it's it's going to take a, a big meet of heads in the, the, you know, from now on in the summer between the RFU and Greg Williams, McWilliams and the, and the team just, just to get a plan for it to go from here. I know the rejigging the, the, the women's AIL again and stuff like that, but it's just, there seems to be a lot of things wrong, you know, and I put my hands up, even though I'm involved in coaching girls, youth rugby in Leinster, I don't have all the answers. You know what I mean? I do my bit, you know, a few, few weekend, a few days a week training under 18 girls and, and at Northeast level. But I, you know, I definitely don't have the answer on what is, is, is to be fixed to try and get uh, Ireland back on a competitive footing because you know it's it's a bit demoralizing, you know what I mean? They, you know, we would have girls over the years would come to to scaries like Linda Jurjan, who who's just down the road for, from Rush in, in Russ and Lusk. She, you know, players look up to these, you know what I mean? And you know, when they look up and they see their team getting a hiding for five weeks in a row, it's I know I'm going off the game itself, but I think it's the bigger picture of the Six Nations is is the issue for Ireland rather than just talking about how this game particularly went. Um and I suppose to compound issues, you know, with selection, uh, Cleany Maloney, you know, got player of the match today in the Premiership Cup final for Exeter. And, you know, obviously it's been quite uh, public, you know, the sort of spat there about non-selection and with her agent with the RFU. So, you know, it's it's just there's a lot of issues there. And I, I, I look, just as a fan of, of, of women's rugby and somebody who, who participates for my own small part, you know, we all want it sorting out. You know, that's that's all I can say to that. You know what I mean? It's 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 going to take a lot of work and a lot of chat, um, uh, you know, for people to try and get this back online. Absolutely. I mean, like I say, we bring this up every week, but it 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 needs bringing up. It needs reinforcing. And um, and the the only thing, the only thing that seems to be getting lost in it is the fact that you know everyone involved wants the team to do well, including those who are protesting and 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 saying pointing out the issues and trying to come up with solutions and trying to see where the thing is i mean everyone wants the same thing everyone wants the 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 standards not just for the top team to be better but right the way down through the system and for opportunities to be better and it's not it's not just this wooden spoon it's not just this performance but when you contrast it to how the men are doing in the under 26 nations and the men's and even the provinces, all four finishing in the top eight. It's just everything is, and you you know how they got there and the support they had to get there. It's just the contrast between that and what's going on in the women's game. You just hope it changes. So now they, having finished six, now they go into this third tier of this new competition towards the end of the year, which I think they're playing teams like Kazakhstan and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe, maybe, I mean, I'm not saying it's a blessing, but maybe they'll need a couple of uh, games like that just to get themselves um, a bit of confidence, maybe hopefully, but we just hope that they don't that that there are visible changes between now and then. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, back to yourself, Connor. Um, we're going into this weekend's action in the um, in Europe, um, and it's uh, your first article here. From that is uh, Wales Online, and it's Stefan Thomas, and the headline is uh, Scarlet Seventeen, Glasgow Thirty Five, Dwayne Peel side run out of steam as injuries take a toll in bruising Euro semi final. Yeah, I think run out of steam is a very generous headline there. Um, I don't think they built up any steam to, to run out of. I They were never the better side in that contest. Um, you, you look at the, the final score and if you break it down, it's five tries to one is what it really is. 
Um, they were living on penalties and, and trying to keep in the game with those five tries to one, no real opportunities to create chances to score anymore. Uh, yeah, they were very unlucky to lose some of their players to injury. You know, they lost two of their starters in the first 10 minutes to HIAs and then another three players to injury as the game progressed. Uh, but Glasgow, they were always better in spite of that. Um, they'll need to keep an eye on their own penalty count. As I say, their penalty count was keeping Scarlet in the game for a while. Um, and they, they won't get away with that against Toulon in the final. But um, yeah, I think it, it's say, a generous headline and just uh, uh, kind of all just petered out for Welsh rugby now at the end of this season. And they were just one more example of things not going the way they might have wanted. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to go back to yourself, Tom. Um, the next article is from the uh, EPCR official uh, website, and uh, the headline is 14-man Toulon, too good for Benetton. Yeah, I'm afraid the the, the Benetton bandwagon bus ended up more like the, the Italian job bus going off the cliff at the end of the movie mm. because... Yeah, they just it was just one of those days where nothing went right for uh, for for Benetton. Uh, what I mean by that is ball in hand, just the amount of errors that they made when they had ball, knock-ons, kicking penalties uh, into the full and, uh, you know, not getting a line out. Um, and they were sort of given a lifeline early on. Uh, Charles Olivon went off with a red card, um, you know, probably right, I'd, I would say. It just shows if people want to see it online, he's... He went in very high and, you know, call it that Johnny Sexton type going in very high. The old days of trying to tackle somebody high, chest high. And he, he caught the smaller player um, on the chin. So he, he seen red. But that was about the only thing that went right for Benetton all day. Uh, Toulon just proved too strong um, and, and and just ended up keeping the Italian scoreless. Um, which was 23 points to nil. They never looked like winning the game, even when they were down to 14 men. Uh, and yeah, just a very disappointing end. Um, I believe some of us did tip Benetton to win this tournament early on. Some of uh, us, some of us, yeah. Well, yeah. one in particular, yeah. <laughs> Me, uh, yeah. No, I thought, I thought from the early stages, I just thought the way the pools fell, I, I probably missed too long. Good shout, yeah. But yeah, and what I what I seen from Italy in the Six Nations sort of reinforced that. But uh, yeah, just very disappointing. But I think the two best teams are now in the final, just as Connor touched on Glasgow. They were outstanding against the Scarlets. And uh, it'll be a good final. I think Toulon are trying to break their duck. I think this is their fifth Challenge Cup final. They've lost four. I, I, that's something like that. So they'll be looking to get get a, a win in that. And and I think it's the first final for the Scottish team. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's something to look forward to the night before our game. Absolutely, yeah, no, and it's a good result for Condit as well. I think does that mean they um, does that mean they qualify for for the Champions Cup now? So not if, quite. If, if the Sharks win the URC, they're all right. They're not, so so we can help so them out there. We can help them out next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, we'll do our best for that for that very reason. Okay, so uh, it's back to yourself, Connor, for the last um, front five article, and uh, yours is from RTE.ie, and the headline is O'Gara's La Rochelle set up blockbuster Leinster final. Yeah, and like so many people, they'll be looking for what Irish connection they can have in certain teams um, with, with, with headlining O'Gara. Look, 47-28 is the full-time score of that game. I think that that puts a very poor reflection on what the game actually was. I think that game should have been 60 or 70 points. 
put against Exeter. They were very poor and two late scores. Actually, I'd say call it three late scores in the last sort of 15 minutes makes that look much nicer than than that game really was. Um, it means La Rochelle go to their third consecutive final. Um, a lot of people pointing at the fact that, oh, you know, 47 is the most ever scored by a team in a semi-final. Um, and that's great, but it was against, i say, a very poor Exeter who just kept knocking the ball on, a bit, a bit like Benetton earlier, you know, just making mistakes and being punished for those because the, the La Rochelle scrum was very, very strong. Um, that's, that's the one aspect of their game, I think, needs a good, serious look to make sure we can nullify it or, or be effective on our own put-in to make sure that we're, uh, we're escaping early and not giving away penalties. But, you know, look, La Rochelle deserve to be where they are. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> Exeter very much didn't. Absolutely. I mean, we're at the stage now, that, you know, this stage of the competition where basically if you do make a mistake, it will be punished. There's no two ways about it. And we'll, we'll be talking about that more in our main match. But um, that's that's what happened here. Exeter just, I mean, it, they... They they did look like the odd one out from the final four. I think I think everyone was yeah. would would have said that going into this weekend, and um, it it showed on the day. So uh, we get a repeat of last year's final. Okay, so that's um, that's it for the front five. As always, you'll find all those links in the program notes. So now it's time for us to look at our feature match of the week, which was, of course, Leinster v Toulouse in the semifinal of the 2022-23 Heineken Champions Cup. As always, our match wrap pods are brought to you by the Irish Rugby Shop at elvries.ie. Now, there had been forecasts for Dublin on Saturday afternoon um, rain, but uh, it didn't arrive until the second half. So conditions were pretty much perfect as uh, Roman Intimac got things underway, kicking towards the south stands. Now, when our exit clearance didn't find touch, Toulouse got their first attack going and made it into our 22 until Rory Arnold uh, spilled it forward in the tackle. And rather than clear our lines, Charlie Natai broke towards halfway with Gibson Park in support, who kicked it forward for Larmer to chase. And although Toulouse managed to clear, all of a sudden we were the ones attacking with the line out at their end of the pitch. A few phases later, we won a penalty into the post, which Ross Byrne slotted to make it 3-0. Now, from the restart, Toulouse came at us again, and we thought we'd snuffed out the danger when a LaBelle chip in the 22 was easily marked by Keenan, who cleared into their half, only it wasn't long before it was being sent back at him, Connor. Yeah, it, it was one of those clearances where he's, cu- as it's chipped ahead and Keenan takes it, he calls for the mark, and th- that's your moment to say, all right, lads, we're grand, we've escaped, we got out of jail there, but he takes it quick and he boots it downfield where Thomas Ramos is waiting for it, and the return kick, it, it's a beautiful return because it bounces so close to Jordan Larmer, you think he'll catch it. And then it makes a beeline for the for, for, for the touchline and suddenly it's a 50-22 uh, inside, you know, inside our 22 and they've got another chance to start building again. It, the, the other thing I'll say about that, um, and it's the one of the only criticisms I think I'd have of Gibson Park for the day, I think he didn't, he was chasing that ball but I don't think he did enough to put Ramos under pressure to make a quicker decision. Ramos had enough room and had enough time and had enough space to, to get the cake he wanted away. But look, that after that, it comes to really strong line out and I think it's five phases of just pulling Leinster players to, to, to lose his right-hand side. 
Um, and the thing about all those phases was that they were all good carries. They were all making yards. They were all breaking the gain line. You know, you might only be talking half a meter here and half a meter there, but you get Jack Willis's carry where suddenly he's got three or four meters, Leinster a little bit out of place, a little bit out of position, and the ball's fired left again through the hands and out to Aki, who somehow manages just to steal enough space to get himself over the line. Um, it, it's a really well-worked try. It exploits some really good mismatches. You know, some players who, that's who you want to be running against based on size and, and dexterity and whatever else. And those mismatches are good. And it's a decent score. And suddenly you've got uh, a stadium full of worried Leinster fans. Absolutely. And this is this is exactly what I was talking about earlier when we were saying, about, you know, you make a mistake in a game like this against a team like that with that many stars and uh, you will definitely be punished. And, um, and, and that's exactly what happened there. And uh, Ramos made easy work of the conversion, making it seven, uh, three to the visitors after just nine minutes, uh, a good Leinster chase off the restart forced another penalty from an attacking opportunity where again, we took the three points courtesy of Ross Byrne. And here's where uh, came a succession of what you could say t- turning points. First Ramos made an error trying to catch Gibson Park's exit clearance from the restart, which meant Leinster had the, Ball. And our next attacking sequence led to the forced withdrawal of Toulouse starting center Barassi in the 15th minute, which put a strain on uh, their gamble of a 6-2 split bench. So now we had DuPont, Intimac, and Aki all moved over one position each to allow for Grau to go in at scrum half. But arguably an even bigger turning point was still to come, Tom. Yeah, I think leading up to this, this was the sort of the first time in the match where we started to stress the Toulouse defense. Um, we had a lot of good carries leading up to that, and it was... You could tell from watching the match that it was super quick ball that we were getting. Like you could see Gibson Park floating from rook to rook. So that was the first time we've seen converted commas real Leinster. We were starting to stress that Toulouse defence. Now, at the end of the day, we, they weren't that stressed that it caused a bit of a moment of madness from Ramos because I think there was two Toulouse, two Toulouse, Toulouse defenders behind them. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he wasn't aware they were. But that's that's again his problem. Just it was a really stupid knock on, you know, and it was deliberate too, and it was a yellow card. You know what I mean? A lot of people have some debates about are they going for the ball or they're not. This was a yellow card. It's just his action of the hand going to the ball. You know, he had no intention of catching it, um, and it was just it was just crazy sort of, um, you know, as you say, Ramos had a bad few minutes. He was after putting his foot in touch a few minutes before that and giving us um, easy enough territory. Um, I don't think the Aviva pitch is his favorite place. I don't think it'll be up there as one of his favorite grounds any the last few times he's been here. But yeah, that's you know, he obviously seen yellow. And at that stage, as you mentioned, the changes that um the Toulouse were forced to make, or maybe they weren't forced, that's a that's a talking point we can talk about. You know, like you know, Mala I, to me lost a run of himself with those decisions. I know hindsight's an easy thing, we can go into that later on, but um Leinster smelled blood, and as they do a lot of times this season, they just went to the corner. Um, and we didn't do the, the trademark Josh rip out of the mall uh, and go straight away. We kept it in the mall. And I thought Sheehan showed great patience. He had the ball at the back of the mall for a long time. And a lot of times, Hooker can get white line fever and just go too early. Uh, but I think he peeled enough at the right the right time because he got within about a metre, metre and a half. At that stage, the whole two on the Toulouse defence were on the back foot. And it was really only a matter of time. Uh, it was Jimmy O'Brien nearly gone in the corner. He just lost his footing when he was receiving the ball and he, and he went down. And it was, it was sort of quickly recycled back into another phase. I think Furlong and Porter 
softened up a few bodies and then uh, Jack Conan came in from a short angle and you know a lot is made of how Leinster clean out rooks that low exact body position and you can sort of see that in the way he carried it over the line it's a sort of a similar movement because he goes extremely low and you know it's near unstoppable rather than going up a bit higher so um, you can see that technique of of clearing out rooks can be used in a different way when you're trying to finish a try in, in heavy traffic and yeah Jack Conan you know, as a guy, you know, he just carried on from where he left off at the end of the Six Nations. He just seems like a man possessed. Um, and you know, we had that article out during the week just talking about the issues he went through, and and he just, it just shows you, you know, even though we're we're Leinster fans to to the nth degree, you don't you don't know what's going on in people's lives, and we make judgments of how guys are playing and how girls are playing, and we just don't know. So I suppose there's a lesson for us all there on on. <laughs> On judging the guy's form when you just don't know what he's going through. So it was great for, for, for Conan, who had a great game, and it was a great start to get back back, back into the game straight after that Toulouse try. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, just on Toulouse's uh, decision-making there, I mean, we were saying in our preview how, um, like, they, this is their third crack at a semifinal in Dublin in, in just a few years. And mm. they've tried this thing where they've tried to punt a 10 before, and they've tried uh, – it's like they're – and they're not the they're not the kind of team that needs to that that should be deviating from the way they play and the things that that make them successful. And you know, I would have thought they would have learned from those mistakes now. And they were kind of forced into this. It was almost like you say from overthinking um, changes they needed to make. And you would have thought the most basic thing they need is get the ball into Dupont's hands every chance you get. And he does that when he's nine. Um, but uh, this this forced that, and they took a gamble, and it didn't pay off. And uh, and we saw that we saw the results pretty much straight away. But um, Ross added the conversion anyway, making it 13-7 to Leinster after 18 minutes. And not long after the restart, a neck roll by Jack Rillis on uh, Josh Vanderflair put us straight back down there, 22 for a lineout, Connor. Yeah, and it's a bit of a sloppy lineout. It's not the kind of clean take you want, but it gets to Leinster hands. It gets out to Gibson Park, and he passes it back inside or back to, back towards the touchline to Jack Conan running a line and. Um, I think this is one of those moments where, you know, when you look back at the game, it, it's part of why, and we'll talk about this later, it's part of why Gibson Park uh, gets the praise he does for this game because he passes it out and then follows up knowing there's nobody else there and he is the rook cover. Um, so just how he makes sure that ball gets supported so that the next couple of phases can happen. And the whole time he's got his head up, he's watching everything he's got a couple of phases moving right and suddenly he's switching it back left uh it comes out to Vanderfleer and his line and his ability in that moment Vanderfleer to draw the two defenders and sucker grow to to like he just he, it's like he stood there and just said I'll be walking through here now and you're all right with that yeah go for it go on you might as well and he strolls in, passes the ball in behind Grau's back to Conan, who then has the absolute audacity to throw a dummy before finishing himself because he's still got Josh running the line inside him to, to make sure the try can happen. Um, it's a great try. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, he's. It, it's interesting that, you know, both our tries so far at this point have come down that left-hand side. And I really think that we were targeting Malia as, as the weak defender. And you can see it in exactly what Malia does. As, he's the one who buys the dummy, who doesn't make the tackle 
on Conan, who should have done something. Standing there is a waste of time. He should have been doing something, but it's, you know, it's a really nice try. It's, it was a fun one to watch, a fun one to re-watch, um, especially, as I say, Gibson Park's awareness and Conan just persisting with that line along the touchline. Absolutely. And I think in the words of, uh, I think it was uh, Nick Mullins in the commentary box for BT, he said, Maria, the emergency fallback was done like a kipper, um, which is pretty, 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 pretty much exactly what happened. And uh, once more, uh, Ross added the extra point. So it was now 20 to seven after 22 minutes. And once more, we won a penalty to get back down to their end. This time, courtesy of a Charlie Natai Jackal. And once more, we got the ball over the line. This time, courtesy of Jimmy O'Brien. Only this time, although Wayne Barnes awarded the try at first, after many, many, many looks at the replay, they finally rightly found some separation as he was getting the ball down. So it was a goal line dropout. And when Toulouse's line speed forced the line out shortly after that, it looked like they'd weather the storm, especially as Ramos was returning to the pitch at this point. Only we weren't quite done yet, were we, Tom? Yeah, I think, you know, as... as as Connor mentioned, the 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 Jack's second try and then the Jimmy O'Brien uh, not try, the, you know if this was a boxing match, Toulouse was on the ropes at this stage because Leinster were just throwing combinations one after another. Um, as you said, the the Jimmy O'Brien uh, try wasn't given, and rightly so, even though we all thought it was in the stadium. And in fairness, the officials got it right. Um, you know that's making up for the James Low foot and touch against France. Mm. I think we can call it evens now. But uh, it's funny, from the restart, when Entomac cleared, Leinster were lined up for that Ireland-Keenan try. Uh, I think Jack Conan carried it up. You know, in fairness to Toulouse, they'd actually spotted it. They'd spotted, you know, that move where I think it was Beelan through an inside pass into to Keenan and it was going to be Forlong doing the same. But they had spotted it. And so their line speed was quite good. And, the, and you know, we got smothered into we got smothered into touch. And um, and after that, you know, it was a bit comical because obviously it was a, it was a, it was a Toulouse line out. And the true good line out, it was into them all. And but I think uh, James Ryan probably getting his first mention tonight. I I will continue to mention James Ryan throughout this. He was ultra destructive in that mall. Now, whilst it was actually Jack Cohn in the end that got the, the telling touch, um, it, it was it was Ryan that sort of took care of three or four of the Toulouse forwards by just being, you know, you know, call it dog shit in there. He was in there and just making life so hard for them. And it's funny, Conan was at the back of the mall. And he just sort of stepped slightly back out of the mall and actually bored his way in through. There was a gap underneath the mall and he sort of popped up. It's like one of these children at a playground where you go through the tunnel and all of a sudden here he is up at the front of the mall. And he was totally legal because he came through the mall and he put his hand out as the scrum half was passing, which is legal, knocked his hand. And that just sent the, the replacement sort of nine into panic mode because he ended up throwing the next pass wildly at Jack Willis's face. We got a bit of luck because it rebounded into Sheehan's hands. And after that, just it was roadrunner. It was Dan Sheehan just, you know, when you're out pacing and Anton Tupont is not catching you, that shows how much pace you have. And then, um, as Connor rightly pointed out, uh, Malia is a weak link on that, you know, and Leinster did target that blind side all day. But I think it's compounded by the fact that Ramos, even though he's had an outstanding season, is a bit of a, you know, when it comes to close in tackling, he's a bit of a turnstile. He had no interest in tackling uh, Dan Sheehan. No, I'm not saying I would either. But I'm not a professional player playing fullback for Toulouse, uh, and and Dan just powered over. But it was, you know, I had to look back at it, and it was a bit when you're at the stadium, you don't, you weren't sure what happened there. But um, yeah, it was all legal. It was it was fine. You know, you're allowed to tap the the scrum. You know, the ball was out at that stage. You're allowed to. You know, Conan did a great job burrowing through. As I said, I thought Ryan was the main instigator of just sort of disrupting that mall. 
And, uh, you know, Sheehan, well, we've seen it, you know, since he made his debut in blue, how how fast he is. And it was just at that stage, um, to go back to my boxing analogy, Toulouse were near, nearly on knockout territory at this stage. Definitely. And uh, next came arguably the best conversion of the day from Ross uh, Burns since it was closest to the touchline. And he had Wayne Barnes close to him, double checking the score with the TMO. So he got it over and now it was 27 to 7 after 27 minutes. Now, despite being three scores down, the five times champions weren't for giving up and they started to put some pressure on our 22. So much so that on 31 minutes, we actually conceded our first penalty of the day. This put them back into an attacking situation and there was to be an eventful passage of play to come down in the corner, Connor. Yeah, and, and there's two aspects of this play that are important and I'll talk about the try first. Um, look, their line-out isn't clean, but they recover well and they started building from, instead of inside the 22, just outside the 22. You know, a few phases later, suddenly they've got a quick, uh, they, they've got the option for uh, a penalty, which is taken really, really quickly. Um it's a couple of strong phases against disorganized players. It's finding soft shoulders and then finding just enough room for Mayafu to reach out and put the ball down. And yeah, look, it's 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 a good try and well scored. And the other incident in there is that in the build-up to that try, there's absolute outrage because apparently uh, Andrew Porter should have seen red. He shouldn't. In my opinion, I, I really don't think he should. I think all the little clips of that one angle are not showing enough to make that kind of a decision for starters. Wayne Barnes is on top of it and calls advantage. And he's right to call advantage because Andrew Porter tackles a man off the ball. That's a fair call to, to, to make that. And it's the only, for me, it is the only issue that might call for a card. Is, is that he's tackled the man off the ball and, and stopped stopped him from being uh, usable in play. Um, I think the tackle itself, I don't think it goes past the horizontal. Uh, he lands on his back. Um, yeah, he's put down hard, but he's put down. There's nothing happening with the head. There's nothing happening with the shoulders. So I think this... ABL narrative that's running around online at the moment of, oh, aren't Leinster very lucky boys? And, and how much did they pay Wayne Barnes to ignore that? And all this other absolute nonsense. Nobody, anyone who believes the referee can be bought doesn't actually watch rugby. Because if you actually watch rugby and you know anything about rugby and you've ever seen a law book, you know, the first five law, the first five parts of the book all discuss the integrity of the game and, and, and the values that are important. No referee is going to get bought. And definitely not at this level. Um, I, I think it's outrageous to say that Wayne Barnes wasn't fair. He saw the incident. He called an advantage. He had a TMO checking it. And neither of them saw any reason to call it back for the same reason that I don't think uh, I don't think a siding commissioner is going to make anything out of it either. The player lands, okay, he lands hard, but he lands safely. And uh, there, there was actually a second uh, incident just before that. Uh, when I first saw him say advantage, I thought it might have been for that. There was a, a Charlie Natsai a, a high tackle. And um, what happened was just, just after the try was scored, I think DuPont went to the referee. And of course, Wayne speaks, speaks French. Um, he speaks French in, he uses the rugby terms well. He speaks French at the level when, that I learned it back in school, it's sort of that kind of level, which is all you really need 
in fairness for rugby. But I, I got what he said that he says, um, he, he said it's possible he looked at the two. So there were two incidents and DuPont asked them and he said that the TMO has looked at both of them is what he tells them. So all these conspiracy theories that were going online that, um, that oh, he didn't even bother to look at it and all this, that and the other, none of that happened. It was an incident. The TMO did have a look. He, he didn't see anything, didn't see any reason to, to, to call anything up. But there's there's always a possibility that the signing commissioner might see it. We'll see during the week. But, um, you know, it's I, I think it was all looked at. What's more interesting is the motivation behind the reaction uh, to it. But uh, we can talk about that another time. OK, yeah, so look, there's yeah. loads going on where it's, you know, oh, you know, Leinster and their consistent home advantage that's been given to them. Nothing's been given here. Everything's been earned. Let's get off our alleged moral high horses about what Leinster do or don't do. Uh, Focus on your own houses and enjoy watching some good rugby when Leinster play. Absolutely. And uh, so the Ramos conversion closed the gap back to 13 points and uh, the half kind of fizzled out from there, despite a fine 50-22 from Charlie Natai, from which our attack was thwarted by a penalty jackaled by the Toulouse hooker Malvaca. So they went into the break with the score at uh, Leinster 27, Toulouse 14. Now, although it's possible Leinster came out a minute late for the start of the second half, I have a feeling it was more like to lose coming out a minute early to show that they were ready for what was to come. One thing was for sure, with the margin now under two scores, a lot seemed to hinge on who blinked first after the restart, which was to be taken by Ross Byrne. Now, in the Harpen WhatsApp group, Tom hoped for a contested restart uh, 10 metres down the, the middle after halftime. How did that crucial phase turn out, Tom? <laughs> they didn't take my advice. Anyway, no, uh, they didn't know. Uh, we decided to go along. Um, I think maybe what made Leinster's mind up at halftime, just talking about the first 15 minutes of the second half, was the the, the downpour out of the heavens that sort of came at the same time. Uh, Leinster realised there was 13 points up, which is still a good lead, but you say it's not a, you're not out of a sight lead, especially against a quality team like Toulouse. And, and they are, people actually forget, even though Leinster have given them three fairly bad beatings in the last four or five years now, um, they're a good team. I think they have a, I think they have a two out of, two losses out of 10 against La Rochelle or two out of 12. It's something, you know, so there's bogey teams for everybody. So, it, you know, it, we mustn't forget that Toulouse are a good team. And we knew coming out of the, the second half that Toulouse would definitely throw some punches. They were a little bit more aggressive around the ruck than they were in the, in the first half. They sort of finished the first half a little better than they started around that area and started to be a bit more aggressive around the ruck. Um, I thought Ross Maloney's worth mentioning this this, this time. I, you know, looking back in the match, he did a bit of a middle man marking match on Mayafu, as in he just dogged him out of it any time he could. He held him on the ground behind the rook. All the stuff that you know Leo Cullen back in the day used to do, or Martin Johnston. So he's in he's in good company when you're when you're talking about something like that. And that's just part of the game. You know what I mean? You you get in guys' faces and get stuck in, and just I I, I did it like the dog. You know I, that's different. I think from last year, if we're looking for pointers for where we can improve. I think that combination, even though we have Jenkins as well. Um, but going back to Toulouse, yeah, they were they, they had they showed a lot more. They had their best spell, I think. I know that's gonna try just before half time, but they had their best spell in and around our 22 as well during that first 15 minutes. But I thought Leinster's defense was outstanding, especially Doris and Ryan. And uh, a couple of times I think Toulouse went to the corner for a line at mall, and I thought our mall defense was good. So I'm looking at this from a Leinster point of view. And the other issue was that then Toulouse, when it wasn't really working and they got forced back down on their own side, they got into a bit of kick tennis. And I think there was 17 or 18 kicks within the space of 
five or six minutes, even less. And and Toulouse really got no change out of it. Um, there was one or two kicks. I think Ross ended up banana kicking one slightly out that eventually led to um, you know, Toulouse getting three pen three points off a, off a, a scrum penalty. But before that, um, you know, they'd even given away a silly offside penalty again. I think it was replacing scrum half. He was he was not um getting retreated to ten. So it was just one of those silly errors that Toulouse did several times throughout the day that just compounded any good work they were doing because it just gave Leinster another exit again. So I think Leinster, given the weather conditions, given the lead that they had, they were quite happy to say to Toulouse, you're, you're going to have to play in our half and we're not going to let you in easy. Anytime the ball comes down there, it's just going to go back into your half. So I think we were quite comfortable. You know, to, to, to look at the Toulouse backline and the threats they have, it just shows you the, the confidence Leinster would have in their defensive systems to go, we're quite happy to kick the ball back to you. But Toulouse sort of fell into that trap that they were quite happy to kick back. I thought Toulouse looked a little bit tired as well in and around that time as well, because a lot of the times they weren't running back to give another option to the, to the you know, if, if Ramos was their, their last line of defence when he received the kick off, Bourne or Keenan or Ringrose or whoever kicked through, there was nobody running back there to try and generate a new attack or Ramos wasn't running forward to get back into the line. They were quite happy to kick it too, so... Yeah, it was, you know, Lens were quite saying, well, if you're going to play at this level, we're just happy to go punch for punch with you. And, and you know, you, you're the one that have to do something. We don't have to do anything. So, I, you know, I thought I thought there was good aspects of it. As, as I thought our mall offence was quite good in the couple of times it was challenged during that period. Um, it did end up with a penalty in the end for Ramos to sort of break the deadlock. And I suppose at that stage now, it scored 10 unanswered points, which probably gave a little, little... Uh, voice of concern, but but I thought Leinster still looked quite comfortable during that period, and Toulouse didn't threaten a whole lot when 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 you know when the when they had sort of looked like they decided to throw the kitchen sink at us after uh, you know after the halftime whistle. Yeah, because I mean you know we, we said it so many times uh, when the game is anywhere close at halftime. Oh, it's you know the first score after the break is is crucial, mm. but. Um, well, what you said about the Leinster defense, and it's been a common theme all this season, is that even when teams do score on us, um, it's it sometimes takes them so long to actually do it that uh, not only do we we put ourselves in a position where first of all we've taken a lot of a lot of time off the clock when we when we already have a lead, but also um, put ourselves in a position where we can just all right they've scored now, but they've taken all that time. We're just going to go right back up the other end, and uh, it just that often happens and just just turn that on its head. And they had a few chances to take the three before that as well so it must have been a bit yeah. demoralizing they went to the corner they went to the corner this time and the other and we were thwarting them out like you said but um in, in the end they, they they did get that penalty which as you say made it 27 17 and um not for the first time our restart went straight to mafu who proceeded to crash out of the 22 and a few phases later rama seemed to hit another belter of a 50 22 but pretty much everyone wearing blue in the crowd wanted the officials to have a little look at something that happened during one of those phases connor yeah, um, I'll say really quickly that 50-22 wouldn't have, shouldn't have counted even had nothing else happened because the ball is carried back from our 50 to their 50. But uh, that's a whole other argument because it never really becomes an issue. Um, in that attempt to clear, um, and you've got a well-formed rook and Josh Vanderfeer goes for a little nosy in at the rook, see what's going on. And as he leans in, Nettie seems to headbutt him in the chest. Literally just that way. Hits him right in the chest. And I don't know, does Josh look at that and go, well, that's a bit unpleasant. I'm going to go in there now and ruffle a few more feathers. Or does Josh look at that and say, I wonder if he'd do that again if I leaned in. 
Um, but either way, I, I don't know what's going through Nettie's head there. That he doesn't just lead once, he leads twice with the head. And the second time, as Josh goes moving in, and there's a lot, again, a lot of online rhetoric about how, oh, well, you know, he'd be going in a very upright position to try and uh, do anything into a rook and watch the playback, watch it in real time. He steps in. He doesn't come running in. He just steps in. And as he steps in, now he, again, head comes slamming up, catches him, for me, in the chin. For me, he catches head to the chin and, yeah, shoulder to the chest as well. But it's the head to the chin is the one that has to be looked at. And I think for me, he knows what he's doing. You know, he could he could have absolutely used his hands there. 100% he could have put a hand up. He can stay bound with one hand and put the other hand up and just hold it out and push the player back off the chest or something. He's doing what he's doing on purpose. He leads with the head, smacks Josh in the chin. Um, and I think... I think Wayne bottles it because it's one of these letter of the law things that he's very, very good at making that decision on. And sometimes you don't want the letter of the law. You want the spirit of the law. Um, it is for me, it's a red. Um, I can see why and I can see how he might have mitigated down. But I don't think it's the right thing to do, especially, you know, don't just watch the one hit. Watch that entire five seconds at full speed on repeat and see exactly what he's doing and how he knows what he's doing. And he's, he's intentional. So, and I think, you know, a lot of people have talked particularly this year and, and, and with the way cards are in the Southern hemisphere at the moment, that there's a big difference between an accidental hit and an intentional one. And this idea that red cards should be reserved for intentional behavior and stuff like that. Well, Red cards are to be reserved. That is intentional behavior. He knows what he's at. And I, I really think I really think he should have seen red for it. And he might still. It might still be upgraded. Um, if it's not, so be it. It doesn't impact us any further. And fortunately, we made good use of it because the penalty is brought back to where the incident happens. The kick goes into the corner. Uh, really nice. Another clean line out in spite of the uh, the Toulouse attempts, Ryan, uh, th th that Toulouse hand gets up, but Ryan just sort of sees it coming and goes, oh, hang on a second, and just pulls it back that way, over the top of the hand. I said, no, 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 you're, you're not spoiling this one. Um, uh, nice, nice, strong maul, trundling over, and coincidentally, it's Josh van der Fleer holding the ball at the end of it and coming away with another try for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I'll say, I mean, the, the, this has been argued back and forth on, on social media all day and there's some crazy takes and based on selective footage and all that kind of stuff has been going on. But like you say, you, you need for the, all these incidents are unique, but for this one, you do need to see the whole incident. You need to see the first uh, coming together. That's part of it. That's important context that it happened once. 
And um, you also do need to see it at full speed to get the, act, the, the, the impact of what happened. But my, my, my overall take on it is, is that like all we were hearing about for the previous years, you know, again, Saracens and La Rochelle and all these times that we did. Oh, well, Leinster aren't physical enough. Leinster, when Leinster get to the final four, they're not physical enough. We're, we get, we're getting battered in the four, is this, that, and the other. So now, as Tom said earlier, we got James Ryan crashing through rucks and causing mischief. And you've got Josh Van Der Fleer. He's not just going to stand there. He, he, you know, some, there are times we do stand off rucks. But this time he saw your man standing there and says, no, I'm going to have a little nibble. And like you said, he went and went again. It was, just, you know, it's called counter rucking. It's called causing a bit of mayhem. Um, where, where you can, and uh, this is what happened, and and now we're doing it, and uh, we're 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 getting the results. But uh, other people, the sa- sometimes I think the same people that were experts saying we weren't physical enough are now saying, oh well, you know, maybe that was too physical or whatever, whatever suits the narrative, whatever. But uh, no, I think I think you're right. I think Wayne, Bar- Wayne Barnes, at least I, I like it when the ref explains his decision and says, this is what I'm saying. This is why I'm making this decision. And you have the words. A lot of times they don't. And, um, and uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree, at least he's explained why, why he said what it is. But um, no, it, it definitely could have been read and we'll see, see what happens during the week. But um, so he was perfect from the tee in the day. So uh, you won't really need me to point out that Ross Byrne also added the conversion here, which meant it was now 34-17 as the clock ticked into the final quarter. And we started going to the bench, including Luke McGrath on for Gibson Park and Jason Jenkins on for Ross Maloney. Now, shortly after the restart, we worked our way back into the 22, where Toulouse were pinged for taking out McGrath, leaving us with a line out close to their line, Tom. Yeah, that Mali uh, infringement on McGrath was just, you know, you know, Toulouse can look at Wayne Barnes all day, but when you're making silly, you know, that's like a rookie mistake. You know, the, the ball, the rule, the law there is that you know the, the ball has to be lifted by the nine, and it wasn't. Malia just came through and took McGrath out of it, and it was just it just meant an easy back in for Lencer, even though we were in position of the ball, possession of the ball. Um, and we went to the mall again, the line out mall. It was Ryan again. Um, Honored mentioned earlier about getting the last uh line out catch, you know, from near Flamance. Grasp, he thought he had it, but it was Ryan again for this particular mall. And there's some good strong carries by by Sheehan and Doris. And I thought Toulouse thought they had copped on to Leinster attacking the blind side in, relentlessly in the first half. Um, because our Jack Ponan had another little snipe to try and get in, but he was held back. But at Toulouse then fell for the double bluff and they flooded the blind side. You know, I think there was DuPont and there was two others around there, but there was only one out there at this stage. And uh and the, it was McGrath just switched it back to the open side and, and Jenkins nearly ran in unopposed. So it was just, it, it, that's what you call sort of heads up rugby. You're sort of, lengths are quite good and people are saying they're quite robotic and play to patterns and they do, they do play to a lot of patterns, but also you can see the ability there from Leinster to play what's in front of them. They realised Toulouse had tried to counter the blind side and, and uh, you know, Jenkins looked delighted to run in for his, for his try. And really that was the game at that stage. Um, Toulouse were beaten, but yeah, again, Toulouse is in discipline. Just Leinster might have scored from the from 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 the resulting play, but you know the fact that we they gave us another mall chance to suck in a lot of the defenders, we just made it easier for us to score again. Um, but yeah, just that indiscipline by Malia just to do a silly thing like taking Luke out McGrath at the at the previous rook to give that penalty. Yep, and um, Ross's conversion made it forty-one uh, seventeen after sixty-four minutes, and with the result pretty much beyond all doubt at this stage, we started to turn our thoughts. To the awarding of the Heineken Star of the Match. Now, not for the first time this season, there were several Leinster contenders. And in the RTE commentary box, Donald Lennon went for Jemison Gibson Park. Connor, what did you make of his overall performance? 
Um, yeah, you know what? I, I commented that he had a couple of moments very early in the game where I, 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 you can look back on it and you can say, oh, why did you make that decision? But aside from those couple of moments, the whole way through, I think you've got strong, good, clean decision-making. He's, he's, got his head, he's got his head up the whole time. He's watching everything. He's making the right calls. He's making the right passes. He's finding space for players to run into. Um, I, I saw a couple of you know these online ratings afterwards, and he, he's right up there in every single one of them uh, with, with, with nines and... He really, really did have a good, just a really good game. I think for me, you know, that, that moment I mentioned earlier in the build-up to Jack Conan's second try, where he makes that pass and then realises, okay, um, I, I have to do more work now and I've got to be the man in to protect this ball until somebody comes to, to pull it out of the base of this rook. Uh, but his willingness to put himself in that position, you know, there's, there's a lot of players are a lot bigger than him. So he's clearly not afraid of the bit of physicality and the bit of work and you know, it's interesting where where I was sitting and uh, one of the lads sitting with me and you know joked that allegedly the best number nine in the world was playing this match this weekend um, and apparently isn't the one who got player of the match um, and, and you can say everything you want about DuPont being out of position and whatever else um, Gibson Park was the better nine all day. He made, I say, nearly all the right decisions, and and was up against it. I mean, when you when you look at who could have been player of the match, for him to have taken it, and you know, we were we, we were arguing about it in the seats of who would get it, um, but none of us disagreed with him as a decision to be uh, to be that player, um, but just. So, so many, so many good contenders on the day. Um, it, it's it's great to be in that healthy position to be able to say, look at these six players, and any one of them could have been player of the match. Hi, it's Jeff here. Just cutting in to let you know that we went on to chat a bit more about Leinster's top performers on the day. If you want to hear it, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. And while you're there, why not subscribe? We're always putting up extra clips from our pods. And also you can see the full version of our preview show there every Friday. Right, back to our Leinster v Toulouse wrap. So going back to the timeline, Toulouse, to their credit, kept coming at us right to the end. And there was to be at least some consolation on the scoreboard for them, Tom. Yeah, I think they're you know I think they're a little bit fortunate to be honest with you because if you look at that the the the, the last sort of seven or eight minutes of that game they really couldn't get out of their twenty two, they were just going phase after phase and were getting knocked back and knocked back and it was only a sort of a half break by Dupont and he threw a wild inside pass I know he does it a lot of times but it, it sort of accidentally hit off Doris's heel and knocked it forward into Ramos's hands that really only gave him the territory they looked completely out of options and. At that stage, now in fairness, from that point on, I think it was Frawley gave away a penalty that meant eventually Toulouse could sort of go to the corner and, and eventually their line out mall. Maybe it was a change of personnel. Uh, I think John McKee wasn't 100% right at the end, so maybe we hadn't the full operation trying to defend that mall like we had in the previous uh, sort of 80 minutes. But look, Toulouse took their chance. It was it was uh, Willis got through. Um, Keen Healy might have held them up, but I think Ref was quick to give it. He's seen it down. But I, I think it was just a fortunate break, you know, a bit of luck that got to lose the territory in the first place. Because 
it was it was out of sync to what was happening for the previous six or seven minutes where they literally couldn't get out of their 22. And, and you know, again, credit to Toulouse, but I think Leinster can be quite happy if you've got a team with the quality of Toulouse, you know, and you just have them hemmed in for the last six or seven minutes going, you're not going to get out of here. Um, I think we can take a lot of a cool. I know that they'd be disappointed letting the try in at the end, but um, I think that they shouldn't knock on what they'd done in the previous seven, six or seven minutes of them. So, but Toulouse got their score at the end and, and, um, didn't you know didn't quite take the last off the, the scoreline because you know Toulouse were well beaten in the end at that stage no doubt about it and uh, this was the one conversion on the day that was actually missed and since the cock was already in the red that left the final score Leinster 41 Toulouse 22 okay so now it's time for just a few final thoughts starting with yourself Connor uh, yeah for me that's a, a fairly complete Leinster performance um, I don't think there's any aspect of that game where you can look back and say that we weren't good at doing our job at the right time in the right positions. You know, line out was good. Scrum had a couple of dodgy calls. Um, I think a lot of people will agree there are some strange decisions being made, um, but for both sides and what comes of uh, having a referee who's never been in a scrum, um, it's aside from that though I don't think there's anything where you'd look and say must do better next week or must do better next time um yeah there's always work on there's always things to improve on always things to get better and I think we'll need to get better I think we'll need to take just another little half step up by the time La Rochelle get to uh get to Dublin and in the middle of all that, we've got to concentrate on the Sharks next week and what to do about them. So I've no doubt, you know, look, that there are plans in place and that management have looked at the schedule and said, here's what's going to happen. And here are people who may or may not play these games so that they'll be available for other games. And I think when you have a squad, squad our size, it's, it's a very healthy position to be in that people are content to be able to say, okay, I, I don't mind missing that game if I get a chance at that game. And it's just good uh, good people management, which is why we've been lucky enough to hold on to so many of those quality players as well. Absolutely. Tom? Yeah, I remember when we played Toulouse last year, there was every excuse under the sun about why we stuck 40 points on them. Toulouse had their epic battle the week before against the Brave and the Faithful and went to penalties and they had a really strong uh condensed running in the top 14 and they were tired and just you know a lot of a lot of the the reasons and why the scoreline was what the scoreline was last year was down to factors the Toulouse were not in control of um but this year was slightly different the two weeks before um they played us they put out sort of half a team against Leon and one at home and they sent a reserve team to Stad France today and the word coming out of any of the French media was that they'd learned from last year. They, you know, they, they were prepared, they weren't tired, they were fresh. Um, so I think, you know, there was no excuses this year. Well, apart from now moving on to the, the last resort of blaming the referee, which is when you're when you've you have you have nowhere else to go when you start blaming other things. And that's in fairness, that's not really Toulouse fans, to be honest with you. But um yeah, look, as, as Connor said, it was a complete. I thought for, for a lot of aspects of the game, we you know we didn't put a whole lot wrong. Um, and and Connor is right. We probably have to go up another half step or something against La Rochelle, uh, for different reasons. 
Um, Toulouse, on the other hand, you'd wonder what did they learn. They are a super team, and as I've said before, I think they've like ten wins out of twelve against La Rochelle. So they're no, they're no mugs when everybody everybody looks at La Rochelle and sees how good they are. Um, but yeah, lots of errors by by Toulouse throughout the day and silly things. You know, as you say, Ramos taking it into touch or Malia taking the nine. All those, you know, we people over focus on the big things like the Van der Fleer, you know, getting the head off Netty or 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 Ramos's brain fart. But it was all the other little errors, you know. The reserve, the reserve ten getting caught offside at, at, at a long kick, or as I said, Malia getting done for for hitting Luke McGrath. Those are the sort of things, and and a lot of the times that even really good players, when they're under pressure, they do these things. So I think we have to take a positive out of that. We're putting Toulouse under enough pressure that they're making errors like that. So look, we're at home. I'm pretty confident how how we'll we'll go from here on in, and you know against La Rochelle. Um, you know, La Rochelle played in the Aviva already this season and just squeaked over the line against Ulster. And um, so, look, it's I'm really looking forward to it. It's 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 the first time we'll have a final in Dublin, you know, whatever, 20, what, 20, 27, 28 years into the Heineken Cup. You know, we've we've been nearly men a few times getting a final on our on our own patch. And uh, it'll be something to look forward to. It'll be a full house. And yeah, sure, you know, these are the days you sort of, you, you, you looked for. And, and, and I, I think just finishing off with James Ryan's angry, Head, I think that's that's the head we want to be looking at for the next three weeks with with Lara Schell in our sights. Absolutely, yeah. For, I mean, for me, the, the, the there was a sort of a poetic moment when um, it was late in the game and the game was won at this stage, and they brought on Arthur Retier, which um, which <laughs> sort of gave us a kind of a memory to a certain uh, try that shall not be spoken of uh, last season, but um, that, that that just kind of symbolised. And of course, we call this section of the the pod their final thoughts and now we can actually turn our thoughts to a final it's brilliant really looking forward to it. may the 20th we're all saving the date okay so now it's time for some of the full-time takes uh, from social media starting with our facebook page and uh, first up we have mark jackson fair um fair play to mark for uh, leaving a comment i hope you're getting better and you're back on the pod soon um and all he had to say was very simply too disciplined too ruthless too good now what's next and uh, next up, we've Andrew Bailey, who said a great performance, undoubtedly helped by Toulouse and discipline, extraordinary tactical failure to have the best scrum half in the world, along with Intimac playing out of position for 60 minutes. Absolutely. Um, now over to uh, Twitter, where Jay Long said, what a performance, what a team, what a team to play against and what a game to watch. Titanic, a Champions Cup final with Leinster on the card, a personal dream of mine, a great day. And then we had uh, the charge down who said, uh, Nate is quality. Uh, Ross is a boss from the T. Conan is playing some of his best stuff. Ryan is back. Love that. One of my all-time favorites. Now let's finish the job. Excellent. And um, finally on Mastodon, we had a comment from Higgs who said, I thought it was going to be tighter before the match than how it ended up. Nate made a huge impact in the first half. Plenty of tired legs at the end of the match. And then finally, we had uh, JOC, who said, in my opinion, the real soul-crushing moment came when Ryan yoinked the line-out steal. Absolute confidence-shattering stuff. Absolutely. And uh, if you haven't yet joined the social media conversation for Leinster matches, why not give it a go? I tend to go on Mastodon during the match these days, although we still do the post for full-time thoughts over on our Facebook page. Well, here's where we do the wrap of the results uh, from the weekend, but it's very simple. There's just really two competitions going and two matches in each. So you, the Champions Cup semifinals, 
which finished Leinster 41, Toulouse 22, and uh, La Rochelle 47, Exeter 28. Two 19-point wins there. And the Challenge Cup semifinals, which were Scarlet 17, Glasgow 35, and then Toulon 23, Benetton nil. Which leaves, of course, the finals in Dublin on the weekend of May the 19th and 20th. You've got Glasgow Warriors v Toulon the night on the Friday night, and then, of course, on uh, Saturday, the big one, Leinster v La Rochelle, a repeat of last year's finals. That's all to come. Okay, listen, that's brilliant, lads. We're going to leave it there for now. Um, many thanks to Connor and Tom for joining me, and we'll hope to talk to you both again soon. Thanks, lads. Cheers, guys. Cheers. So that's it for this week. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast feed if you haven't already. Keep an eye on our website, harpinonrugby.com, for all our features during the week. We'll be turning our attention back to the United Rugby Championship next weekend and uh, Leinster's quarterfinal date with the Cell Sea Sharks which will, of course, be getting the full harp and treatment, including a preview Friday, a wrap pot on Sunday, and all the usual features in between. As always, feel free to send us your thoughts. Email us at paganoblog at gmail.com or get us on any or all of our social media platforms. You'll find the links in the program notes. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. Slon.